The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the doors were locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you. Traditionally, in some parts of the world, Pentecost Sunday, the day we celebrate today, is known as Whit Sunday for White Sunday. And we can pause and wonder about that, saying, well, if the Holy Spirit's color is red, why would anybody call it White Sunday? And that's because of the intrinsic connection of Pentecost Sunday to another Sunday. Pentecost is not a standalone celebration. It is not an independent feast day. It is the 50th and final day of the season of Easter. In fact, the Easter season has two octaves, two periods of eight connected with it. Easter Sunday is a day so mighty and so great the church has long said a mere 24 hours can't hold it. And so it is given what is called an octave, eight 24-hour days celebrated as one day. Easter Sunday, then in the church, is eight 24-hour days long. But the season itself is a season as well of eight Sundays, an octave of Sundays. Because one mere Sunday isn't enough. And this is the eighth Sunday of the season of Easter. So the long-standing custom was on this Sunday, White Sunday, even though Father would be wearing red, all of those who were baptized seven weeks earlier on Easter would arrive in the church wearing the white baptismal robes, representing new life by the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ, that was theirs because of their baptism. They would gather and enter in the church, large numbers clothed in white, on that day where the church celebrated the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon those who, having been baptized into the dying and the rising of Christ, would be sent forth into the world to bear the news of the victory of his resurrection to all nations. What remarkable symbolism that is the red of the Spirit, the white of the new life in baptism, reminding us that the Lord pours out the Spirit upon His church to set ablaze 
to literally, quite literally, kindle fire in the hearts of all of those who have been baptized. Not simply to send them out, but to meld them together into a single body, a single people, the united body of Christ. This is what we celebrate today. What a remarkable mystery this is. This 50th day of the season of Easter, which in the fact that it has the number 50 is the echo of something ancient as well. Because the custom out of the Old Testament was that every 50th year would be proclaimed a year of jubilee, a year of celebration, and during the jubilee year, all debts were to be forgiven. Imagine if somebody did that for you. Just wiped away all of your debts in the name of celebrating the Lord's care over his people. We don't have clear evidence that Israel ever actually did this. However, note, on the 50th year, debts are forgiven. And what do we hear in our gospel today? As we gather on the 50th day of the Easter season, the Lord breathes his Holy Spirit upon the disciples and sends them into the world with the mission of remitting the great debt that fallen humanity owes to Almighty God, a debt that it could not possibly begin to repay. And this is the essence of the church's mission, not simply announcing a victory, not simply proclaiming faith, strange as it is to say simply to those things, but to quite literally announce the time of Jubilee, the moment of Jubilee, and to call the human heart to turn to the Lord in a way that the ancient debt of guilt and fallenness may be taken away, and that what had been wounded may be restored to health and to fullness and to life. And note the wondrous parallels we have here. On Easter Sunday, the Lord rose bodily from the tomb because the cage of death could not contain him. The stone in front of the tomb could not contain him. He passes through those things victoriously alive and not a single human being saw it happen. The Lord died on Calvary and the world saw that. The Lord rose on Easter Sunday and no one saw it happen. Rather, he appeared over the course of 40 days to his disciples that they might know him. And why? Because he was pleased that those he would send would be the ones to bring the news of his victory to the world. He was pleased that though human eyes never saw him rise, human eyes would see his church. That though human ears would not hear his voice after he rose in great numbers, human ears would hear the word proclaimed by his church. And what do we celebrate today? As we heard in our first reading, in the place of the supper, the upper room, where once the disciples on Easter Sunday were gathered as frightened men 
and the Lord came into that small space where they were enclosed as if it were a tomb and gave them his peace and breathed his spirit upon them. We see now that at the completion of the time of Easter, they are gathered there again, but not as prisoners. They are gathered there around Our Lady because a promise has been made to them and a mission has been given them. You will go. You will make disciples of all nations. But before you go, you wait. Wait until you receive the promise from on high. And on this day, we celebrate. We celebrate the church bursting out of that confining room, that little space, into the world, no longer locked in by fear, no longer frightened men and women, but those who go forth with a startling newness and a startling vigor about them. We read about that building being shaken. We read about a wind that swept through the entire city and those tongues of fire, one fire, dividing itself into many tongues and yet remaining always one. Just as when we kindle small candles off of a larger candle, it is one flame divided into many, but not diminished in any way. And so it is the Spirit pours out His gifts upon the church, and just as the Lord victoriously in his glorious body left the tomb, so now his mystical body, his church, leaves that small confined place and steps out into the world. And what does it announce? But the resurrection of the Lord. What a remarkable moment this really is. Note how wondrous it is that the Lord, even in his victory, is so gloriously humble, he is willing to use those he has called to bear the full power and the full reality of his victory out into the world. This is the very essence of the feast that we celebrate today. And it sounds like the microphone is not going to want to cooperate. <laughs> um, and so it is, they come out of the building, and there's an energy about these men, and the assumption is that they're drunk, that they have had too much new wine to drink, and their bodies and their minds can't handle it. And it's a marvelous image of just how dramatic this outpouring of the Spirit of God was. Because these mortal vessels, these men and women, were filled beyond what normal man can contain. And yet somehow they were filled. That their lives were given an expansiveness and a freedom and a vigor that they themselves actually had to stumble into and stumble through as they learned how to walk in this new freedom. Imagine that, a freedom so great that we have to learn how to walk again. A strength and an energy 
so powerful that we have to learn how to move again because of its beauty, because of its might, because of its greatness. And imagine that, to be gifted with a greatness that one has to grow into. And that is what the people gathered there see. This church now learning how to speak in this way, learning how to move in this way, and it is startling because it is so very different than the way ordinary man works, even though these are ordinary men and women. And then there's the remarkable miracle. The remarkable miracle that attends to the preaching of the disciples. As they come out and they begin to proclaim, we have the most curious element of Pentecost Sunday, which is not that the disciples are speaking many languages, because in the preaching they're not. They're simply speaking. We have a miracle of hearing. Note how wondrous this is. The church comes out and begins to proclaim. And it's not like before they left, Peter, John, Thomas, and Matthew and the other guys sat down and said, look, I'll speak to the Parthians and you speak to the Medes. You speak to the Phrygians and you speak to the Pamphylians. You've got that language. Let's go. They simply went out and announced salvation. And the world understood. Imagine that. One proclamation heard into every culture, heard by every language, heard by the gathered nations of the world. There were more languages there than there were apostles proclaiming. And yet they all heard. Note how wonderful that is. This lesson that when the church speaks in and by the might of the Spirit of God, it speaks to everyone. There is no culture that is not addressed, no language that cannot receive, and therefore no human heart incapable of responding, no human heart left out. Note how complete this is. This is more than the joy of Israel now. This is the joy of a world made new. How absolutely remarkable it is. And note how it is all predicated on a certain oneness. The many nations spoken to as one. The many cultures gathered into one church the many distinct and differently gifted disciples knit together into the united body of Christ. As St. Paul so beautifully says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, animating all. And in speaking this way, the apostles call these others to step forward and receive the same gift that had just renewed them. What a wondrous moment this is. That we, first to be gifted in this way, are not the only ones. 
and that this same Spirit which has newly invigorated us desires to dwell in your heart as well. What a remarkably beautiful moment this is. And note how we see here the anticipation of how the church will now spread across the entire world. And note how ridiculous that command first sounded when the Lord gave it. A handful of people around him, the only ones who know about his resurrection, and he says, and you're going to go and convert the entire world. And yet we are here this day because of that ridiculously beautiful statement. Because the Lord is as good as his word. He pours out his spirit on those few. In a short time, those few became many. And those who once were so few, a single room could contain them, now contain the globe. There is not a country on earth where the gospel has not been proclaimed. How wonderful that is. And all of that being said, a few minutes later in the Mass, as we're standing, we will be praying a particular prayer that the Bishop's Conference has asked to be prayed over these coming days. And in particular, they requested that it be prayed at Marian Shrines. And so I received a letter a few weeks ago from Bishop Barras asking us to do it here. And that's because what is happening in the church right now is a beautiful echo of everything we've just said. Imagine this, from all of those nations of the world to which the gospel has been carried as a result of that first Pentecost, representatives are moving toward Rome. Bishops, religious, and for the first time really in our history, numerous lay people invited to attend. It's called a synod. And it's a gathering of the church, its membership, and its leadership for the sake of listening. Listening across our cultures, listening across our languages, listening across the different realities that we all deal with. And leading up to this for the last two years, there have been listening sessions in dioceses around the world, and then national listening sessions as well, where the bishops of countries, along with their lay people, have gathered. And why? It's the echo of what we hear in our first reading. The Spirit is speaking, and the speaking of the Spirit is heard in all cultures. The speaking of the Spirit is heard and can be heard in all conditions, in all languages. And it is important that we come together and learn to listen to the way the Spirit speaks so that we might be more fully united as one body and more authentic and effective in that mission of continuing to take the gospel out to all of these same nations, out into all of these same realities. What a remarkably powerful thing that is. And so the global synod of bishops will be taking place this coming October, and the movement toward that has begun. And that's why there's been a request at Marian Shrines to say a prayer where we place all of this under the protection of Our Lady as the church itself now moves to this point. 
And when we speak this way, it's a reminder that before authentic proclamation can happen, authentic listening has to be happening. We can't proclaim a word we haven't listened to. We can't proclaim a salvation we ourselves haven't embraced. We can't announce a love or a forgiveness that we know nothing about in our own lives and how we deal with one another. And that a huge part of being the body of Christ is paying attention to each other. We live in a world where paying attention is hard, where paying attention is difficult and inconvenient, and yet it is so necessary. And that part of paying attention to the Lord involves paying attention to his body. And so we conclude with this other beautiful element of the Feast of Pentecost. The Lord poured out his spirit on one church because the Lord found it one church, not many. And the church upon which he poured out his spirit on Pentecost Sunday is that one and only church which is identified by this. The disciples were united with one another and with Mary, the mother of Jesus, in prayer. And so it is that the same Holy Spirit who came down on the Virgin Mary in Nazareth and in doing so in great power brought into the world quite truly the physical body of Christ formed in Mary who went forth from her to bring salvation to all mankind that same Holy Spirit pours down once again through and with and around Our Lady and all of those disciples gathered with and around her and what happens as that same spirit moves responding as well to the presence of Our Lady all of those separate men and women are knit together by the Holy Spirit into the mystical body of Christ his church this is why we name Pentecost Sunday as the birthday of the church and why we likewise name our Blessed Lady as the mother of the church. Because she who is the mother of the head of the body, Jesus Christ, by the working of the Holy Spirit poured out on the church this day, is likewise the mother of all of his members, and that includes us. And the beautiful thing in all of this is that the Holy Spirit working through Our Lady does not form a disordered body, but an ordered body in which each member has a place, a role, a dignity, a mission, and an importance. And what a wonderful thing that is. And as a result of what happened on Pentecost, 2,000 years later, that upper room where the disciples met, where the first mass was said, note what we have here. From that upper room to this altar, because of the movement of that Holy Spirit across the years and across the continents, that same body and blood that the Lord gave to his church for the first time on Holy Thursday night is here for you. 
and how wondrous it is that we, gathered by the Spirit as the body of Christ, will come forward to stretch out our hands and receive Him who is with us by the power of that Spirit, the true body of Christ. And as good preachers rip each other off all the time, I'm going to steal from St. Augustine and say, if the body of Christ indeed comes forward to receive the body of Christ, then be conscious that today we receive who we are and we're called to become who we receive. Amen.